If you're a physician who wants more autonomy in how you practice or fulfillment in your life, you're in the right place. This is the Change Physician Podcast, where our guests reveal how you can learn the mindsets, skills, and strategies to create the life you want without selling out your morals or values. But before we begin, I want to remind you of the free book giveaways, guides, and other physician resources available to you at thechangephysician.com. Welcome back to The Change Physician. This is episode 246. Welcome back. I'm Melissa Katie, the Challenge Doctor, with my co-host, Dr. Kevin Kakaro, with nothing other but our returning, returning, returning guest, Dr. Corey Fawcett, who is Financial Success MD. You can find him everywhere. We'll put all the tags and everything you need to find him. And we have been talking about some awesome books that he's had. And if you can show Kevin, uh, or if Corey, if you want to show yours, I just want people to see it, Doctor's Guide to Smart Career Alternatives and Retirement. And uh, why don't we have Kevin just strike off with the first question about this book. And uh, thank you again, by the way, Corey, for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. I love coming and chatting with you guys about whatever you want to talk about. It's a fun day <laughs> off to come. Yeah, what, what do we want to talk about? Let's play, kind of... yes. <laughs> hey, hey, now we have evidence that there's at least two of these books out there. Yes, and mine's <laughs> and in both my at the same time. Yes, yes. Awesome. Well, Kevin, uh, why don't we just give people an idea of, of the structure or if we want, Corey, do you want to just say why you wrote the book first and then I'll have Kevin start off with some of the topics. Okay. Yeah. Um, the whole point of this book was to help the physician who's kind of disgruntled with medicine and wants a change. That was the target audience uh, for this book. And at the time I wrote it, um, the surveys had shown one third of all physicians either wanted to retire or make some major change in their practice. And with one third of the people hurting, not liking how things were going, uh, you know, that's just not right. There's no reason that a physician should be unhappy with their, their career and their practice because uh, there are so many options in medicine um, what happens though is, 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 and I've seen this with all my coaching clients is we get caught up in the rut we're in. Mm -hmm. We can't see that we could get out of this rut and, and ride on a different part of the road. Um, we just get stuck. And, and, and sometimes I would, I would make a suggestion to somebody and say, well, would you have thought about this? And they would, well, no, I never thought I could do that. You know, they, cause you get stuck with, this is how we've always done it. Right. And you just don't think there's another option. So I wrote this for a chance for you to have basically three options. If you're unhappy in medicine, you can fix the job you have so that you like it. You can change to a new career and build off of the knowledge you already have, or you could retire. And that's what we walk through with this book. How, how to address this issue of I'm not happy as a doctor and I think I want to quit. Yes. Yes. Well, I have to just want make one comment that there are, uh, whether you're a physician or not, I, I think you only know what you've seen <laughs> and you only, it, that whole getting in a rut, it's just, you're just used to what you're used to. And, and you don't really think outside the box sometimes because that's what's expected of you. It's been laid out to you that way, but I think we've been at a disadvantage to really think differently um, and so I'm glad that, that you've put that book out there. So, um, and that Kevin, problem, oh, that problem doesn't happen just for employed physicians. The employed ones thinks, oh yeah, you guys out in private practice that you got it made because you can do anything you want. Well, right. that, that same rut happens in both places. It, it, it's not unique to one or the other. 
Right, right. And sometimes you just need to change it because as humans, we like variety too. So I think that's a, a big part of it as well. Um, Kevin, I didn't want to jump on your your parade there. Oh, on- there's no jumping on my parade. No, <laughs> I, I liked how you kind of phrased that, uh, Corey, because there, there's sort of like three books in one. So could you kind of give an overview for that first one, which is um, where people who are unhappy in their current practice and the the kind of like the big picture on how to become happy in your practice again because i kind of look at that as uh there's people who there's two phases of that you got when you initially kind of move into your first attending position or your first kind of job and it's not what you thought and the other one is if you've been in with a place for some degree of time and and you are just not really happy with what you're doing anymore so what were your kind of key takeaways for that kind of audience well you know um I would, I would just go back to a story of something that happened to me. Um, and I had, um, I was stuck in the run. a general surgeon. I came to a small town and we do everything in this little town. Uh, and I did vascular surgery and thoracic surgery, but I didn't like vascular surgery and thoracic surgery. I did them because they are the best paying, uh, things I, I work on, you know, uh, an aortic aneurysm pays a whole lot better than a hernia. And so I had this, I was in the rut that I have to do those things to be financially well off as a surgeon. And so I kept doing them uh, and I was not happy. Every time I would see somebody who needs their aortic aneurysm repaired, uh, it would the hair on the back of my neck would stand up. Oh, not another one of those. But, you know, I would do it. And I had good results, but I didn't like doing it. But one day, um, and it was shortly after I paid off my house. So now I had no debt, no home mortgages, no school loans, no car loans, no more motorhome payment. Everything was gone. And I felt financially secure. And that whole notion that I had to do those cases to be financially okay now didn't matter so much. Because if it didn't work out so good, I wasn't going to lose my house. And so I finally had the courage after many years of griping to myself about this to say, I would like to get rid of vascular and thoracic surgery. And so I didn't tell my partners. I didn't do any. I walked right into the office manager one day and I said, from this day forward, I don't do those two things. Give all of my vascular cases to this partner because he loved doing them. Give all my thoracic cases to this partner because he loved doing those. And I don't do them anymore. I didn't tell my partners. I just made that change. And guess what? My income didn't change. I didn't lose anything. Because in order for me to, dis- we were all busy. So or if I displaced those things to their practice, that means they had to displace something back to me or they couldn't do it. And guess what? The stuff they displaced back to me, I liked doing better than what I gave <laughs> them. So I liked my practice better. And they liked their practice better. And I couldn't believe I waited so long to say, I don't like that. Let's change it. Uh, I had the power, but I didn't do it. And that's a, a great example of how you can make a change, a small change in your practice that wouldn't really even affect everybody because we're still doing the cases in our group. It's just that I'm not doing those. And I got rid of something. So that's that's a major change you can make in your practice today is to say, 
I don't like doing this kind of patient. I'm not taking them anymore. Hmm. And that one thing suddenly just brightens your day instantly. The moment you decide it, it's like relief. Yeah. I don't have to do that anymore. Were your partners still happy? They were very happy because they. <laughs> one guy loved doing vascular surgery. He was kind of upset that I was doing some of it. Oh. And when I gave it all to him, it was like, all right, yeah. You know, and so they loved it. I, I, I was still taking all the call I was taking. It's just that when those cases came into the office, they just didn't come to me. They went to the other guys. And and there are so many things. I, I like to tell people um, who don't like their practice to write down 10 things on a list that you don't like about your practice and 10 things on the list that you do like about your practice, the, th the things you love. And your goal is to do less of what you don't like and do more of what you do like. So take one of those things on that list and maybe walk into your office manager and say, you know, here's 10 things I don't like in our practice. What do you think we could do to pick one of these and get rid of, get it off my plate? And now you're taking action. You pick the 10 worst things and you start getting rid of them. And if you got rid of 10 things from your practice you didn't like, and you shifted that time into the 10 things that, that you did like, it's going to be a transformation for you. All of a sudden, you love what you're doing again. And so figuring that out, and, and, and one of the big things you got to do first is identify that, why am I unhappy? Because if you don't identify why you're unhappy, and you make a change anyway, you're just going to bring that baggage with you to the next thing you do. And you're going to be unhappy there too. So if you don't figure out what it is that's making you actually unhappy, then whatever you do is probably not going to work because you're going to address the wrong thing. So yeah, I, I think that's like a key piece. And that kind of comes back to the themes that we talk about in this, this podcast all the time is increasing a level of awareness. So um, wherever you are in your medical career, that that kind of understanding why you feel the way that you do and I loved how you put that, Corey, because if you don't, you're going to you, you have a good tendency. You're going to duplicate it again, because so, I think there's a lot of people in medicine that are unhappy who think they're unhappy with medicine. And it may be more their environment. It may be how the practices set up. It may be what their own um, you know, preconceived expect, uh, expectations or this, there's perception of what others expectations may be that may or may not be true, but they're living kind of under those guides mm -hmm. um, that really impact how people feel in these jobs. So I really love that point about really walk, you know, making sure you recognize what it is that you're happy, unhappy with. Cause I don't know, you're probably in the same physician groups and you see people and they're like, Oh, I hate medicine. I want out of it. And then they list it. And it's really not necessarily, they love their patients. They love clinical stuff, but it's all the exterior factors that are going on. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that is like, if you get nothing else out of that, you know, making sure you know what it is that makes you happy and or makes you unhappy is absolutely crucial. So um, one thing that kind of stood out for me, though, is you made that decision after you paid off your house. And that um, I, I that makes a lot of sense, because the more stress that you are under, the less able you are to see or perceive options in your environment. So what would you with that kind of uh, kind of in your book you talk about 
options for physicians. And I think that's crucial because if you're an early career physician and you have $500,000 in debt or $250,000 in debt or more, you may not see what those options are. So you as an experienced physician who has transitioned through all of these roles, um, if you're, if you have the listener who is $500,000 in debt, you know, in the first five years of your career and thinks that they have no options, what would you say to them? Well, the first thing is figure out what it is you're unhappy about, because the odds are you can change many of those things. And if you change the things you're unhappy about, all of a sudden you're now happy doing what you, I mean, we went through this whole thing because there was some reason we wanted to become a physician. I mean, if you go back, I mean, everybody should probably periodically go back and, and find that thing where you applied to medical school and you wrote a little uh, mm -hmm. write up about why you wanted to be a doctor. Why should we accept you to medical school? And there's your why. That's why you wanted to go into medicine in the first place. And the problem is, is you get deeper and deeper in debt. And, and I talk in my debt book, we talk about having diabetic neuropathy. And when you get diabetic neuropathy and, and you just become numb to debt, and all of a sudden now you have to start making all the payments after all these years, it really weighs you down. And I, I think addressing that issue is a separate thing. I mean, you really have a problem with debt. You have $500,000 of debt. You got a home mortgage and no home. Um, if, if you address that separately, uh, you're going to improve everything in your life. You know, you take away the stress of the debt. Uh, you take away the, the, you, I think people who are deep in debt and worried about it, they resent medicine for putting them there. Mm. That's and I, I went through that once, um, not for debt, but for something else. I almost quit medicine because mm. At the time, I didn't know why. I just hated medicine and I wanted out. And I almost gave up my medical career and became the worship leader at church. You know, turn in my quarter million dollar income for a $25,000 a year income and, and just enjoyed life better. Um, and I told somebody about that. And they said to me, well, let me ask you a question. Do you think you are being called to retire from medicine or you're just having a bad day? Because those are very different. If you're being called to leave, well, then you got to leave. But if you're just having a bad day and you leave and burn a bunch of bridges, that's a problem. So I actually went on a quest to figure out why I was unhappy. And I discovered the reason was, is I was bitter about somebody at the hospital. They had done something to me recently. And now every time I saw the hospital, I was bitter. Every time I saw a patient, I was bitter. Every time I had to get up and go to work, every time a call, beeper went off, I was, I was mad at somebody else and it was ruining my life. And what I needed to do was just forgive that person so I could get on with my life. And once I did that, all of a sudden, I loved my job again and I was ready to practice. But missing that key piece and not realizing that this was actually something completely external to my practicing medicine that was ruining my career and almost tanked it completely is because I was mad at somebody. Mm -hmm. It was like, I I'm drinking poison and I'm hoping they'll die, <laughs> you know? And, and um, until you solve that, 
And, and if your poison, your problem is that you're resenting all the debt you have, well, then concentrate on paying it off because almost every physician can pay off their mortgage, their their student loans within three, four years. Um, you don't have, as long as you don't just jump your lifestyle up to your new income, if you use that new income to pay off your debt, the debt's gone really quick. Uh, and so, and you, and you just removed that burden from your life. And now you can maybe think clear again. Uh, but if you are resenting medicine because of something like that, it'd be terrible to quit medicine and then just bring the $500,000 debt with you to whatever you do next. Uh, you'll still be resenting the $500,000, but now you won't be a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. That's hard to catch up period. Even, even when I thought to myself to take a year off, think, imagining having to start paying my loans, even though I was going to go right back to training. I was like that, that unfathomable to even like try to, to pay off any of those, those types. Of and loans. that debt created an answer to what you wanted to do, which maybe wasn't what you wanted. You wanted the year off, but you couldn't do it because you had the debt hanging over you. And that problem changed your outcome. Absolutely. And it that's terrible, out. you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, it was a long, more complicated situation there, but yes, it, it definitely influences you heavily on what your choices or what you decide to do. I'm curious though, if, I mean, I know you talked about writing the 10 things that you don't like, or you like, and you said that you wish you had made the decision earlier because it didn't affect you the way you believed it would be um, if you had given up those, you know, more productive, financially productive cases. But if, what do you think it would have taken for you um, or anyone to have the courage? I mean, is it just writing those things down to become aware, you think? Um, or what would you say to, you know, situation where it was you? Mm -hmm. How do you get that courage when you can't see? This is why I wrote the book. Right. Um, because I think if someone would have sat down and told me I did it, it's yes. okay. I probably would have done that. I probably would have given those up earlier. But I had the fear that if I did that, things would go bad. Right. Um, I didn't. I didn't know anybody who's done that. Right. Um, and I was afraid of what I thought. And almost always, I find this with all my coaching clients, you blow up the bad things way worse than they really are. And you minimize the good stuff. Uh, you know, and just, it's exactly what I did. I blew up how bad it would be if I gave up this stuff. And I minimized how good it would be if I gave up that stuff. And then I didn't make the move. But just getting to talk to somebody who did it Yes. Gives you the hope. I know I paid off a half a million dollars in debt. Just knowing somebody did that means, well, I could do it too. If you did it, I can do it. Right. If anybody else has done it, then I could do it. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't have that somebody to look to. And so I, I put together this book so that you could look to somebody. In fact, it's not just me in there. I gave lots of examples from other people telling their story. This is how this guy did it. This is how this lady did it. And this is, and so you can get some examples that it's not always has to be this way. We talked about debt as one of the ruts, but I think the biggest rut that we face 
is our employment contract mm -hmm. because we sign that contract and then we think that's the way it has to be for the rest of my life. Whatever's on this contract, I can't change it. It says I have to do this. Okay, that's that. But that's not true because everything on that contract could be altered. Um, all you got to do is go to the other person signing the contract and say, hey, I'd like to change this. and This is why. And if they agree, it gets changed. Right. But we get caught up that that's the contract. Every physician signs the same contract. You all have to do it like this. There's no way to change it. Um, a good example of that, um, I had one client who said, I really hate being on call and I really want to get rid of my call. But there's no way to do it because it's required in my contract. And, and he was already kind of financially independent. And so I said, well, you're not doing it for the money, right? No, you just hate doing it. And you'd like to get rid of that, right? Yeah. So you've got several partners and one of them, two, three of them are pretty new and they got big debts. I bet you, if you went to those guys and said, I'd like to pay you to take my call, <laughs> that they do it. Oh no, nobody likes call. They wouldn't do it. You know what? He's at the other end of the spectrum. He's financially fine now. They're at the beginning of the spectrum. They're brand new doctors and they got that debt hanging over them. They might want that extra income to, to deal with that. And so he, I finally convinced him, go ask them. What, they, what do you got to lose? What if they say, no, you're right where you are now. You know, you didn't right. learn. So he goes, ask them. So the next week I talked to him and he says, you're not gonna believe this, but they took it. I don't have call for the next six months. He couldn't believe that that was even possible because he's required to take call. But yes, he's required that his call be covered, but he can cover it by having them do it and paying right. them to do it. And so he just paid them and they got extra billing. So their, their, their bonuses are going to go up also. It's a win-win deal. And he's out of call and he never made the move because his contract said, you have to take call. Right, right. And they're also in a position now where they're so desperate for help. You could negotiate those contracts too. You don't necessarily have to do it that way. It's just, you're in a leveraging situation uh, in the current state of affairs. So, and, and every two years or every one year, your contract comes up for renewal. Mm -hmm. Don't let your contract just automatically renew. Right. Go through each item in your contract and see if you still want it that way. Right. It's if there's something you want different now, because now you've lived under this contract for a while, yeah. now's the time when the contract's renewing, now's the time to make those changes. Yeah. Don't let the contract be one of those ruts you're stuck in because it's changeable. Yes. And keep the copy of your contract so you know what it is. Uh, for, uh, yeah, I can't believe I mean, I said, well, let me see your contract. Well, I don't know where it is. I don't know if I still have it. Is that, yeah. what? This is like a multi-million dollar contract and you don't know where it is? Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 pretty shocking um, how many people don't keep track of those things. <laughs> but no one's had a contract before. Yeah. You've just been working all these years and then, then finally you're in attending and they give you a contract mm -hmm. um, and you think it's going to be like it always has been, you know, except better because now you're an attending and not a resident. Uh, and then you just sign the contract and, you know, it's buried somewhere. You don't know where it is. And no one really told you that that's a really important piece of paper. Absolutely. Um, it will drive your life and yeah. don't, 
don't let it just stand the way it is. Just because they say this is what everybody signs doesn't mean that it's got to stay that way. You yeah. can still make changes if they if they want you mm -hmm. bad enough, they'll make some changes for you to get you there. Absolutely. Yeah, it's so important. I think even for for newer physicians to recognize because by re by reviewing your contract before renewal, every time you do that, you're going to be in a better position as long as you are a you know a good physician. You're getting along with people. You're not yelling, screaming, or or whatever. Because two years down the line, four years down the line, six years down the line, you're going to be more established. It's going to be way more difficult to replace you. And if people like you, they're not going to want to do that. So they're going to be much more um, willing to negotiate. And I love how you said that, even if they say that they don't actually change the contract, because that's, that is so misleading. I don't know how many times I've seen that. Oh, we don't ever change the contract. And then all of a sudden you find out, wait, wait a second, this person over here got their contract changed <laughs> in the same place. Hmm. Really? Um, yeah. It, it well, so I, I reviewed a contract with one guy and it, and it says right on the contract, you can't show this contract to anybody except your advisors, you know? So I became, you know, I'm his advisor. I'm helping him with his contract. And so, but it, I mean, you're scared away from asking somebody else about it because you can't ask the other docs what's their contract say, because mm -hmm. it says right on the contract, you can't do that. You mm -hmm. can't ask the other guys what their contract uh, is like. And so you see all these anonymous posts in Facebook and, and, and where they say, hey, I got this clause in my contract. What do you guys think? Because he can't tell anybody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, she can't ask her friend. It, it's it's you get paralyzed because it just says so on that piece of paper. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the other part I was going to bring up is oh, oh, this reminds me of that. Um, I was trying to remember the, the actual phrase is, but don't don't answer the uh, or don't create a solution for a problem that doesn't exist yet. That's not quite right. But it's basically saying is like people think, oh, the contract, like your people, oh, uh, I always have to take call. There's nothing I can do. It's in my contract. And then you say, well, why don't you do ask anybody? And people assume, well, if I ask the person, they're going to say no. Or if I want this, I'm going to say this person. And what they're going to do is they're going to say, oh, th that I want to change my contract. And then they're going to fire me. And they create this whole big kind of uh, narrative in their head when really they don't have any, the data is wrong because they haven't even done the first step of asking, hey, can I change this in my contract? Instead, they've answered that question for themselves. So um, I think that's really important because if you if you have partners, ask your partners you know, if they would take your call, if you would pay them for it, and so that you have good data to make those decisions that rather than just assuming that somebody's gonna answer that question in the way that you're gonna answer it, because obviously they're not you. And they may not be feeling the same and they have different perspectives on that. And uh, so while you're going to say no, because you don't want the extra call, somebody else might. And until you know whether or not that's true, you don't have the data to make a good decision. So I think, again, excellent, excellent point there. So I used that once. Uh, I wanted to perform in a play uh, in town. And in order to do that, they have practice five days a week. And then they have the play running on the weekends when it comes, you know, this is a, a two month commitment where I'm busy every night with them, but I'm on call, you know, six, seven, eight days a month. So how do I do this? I went to one of my partners and I said, I'd like to make you a deal. I want to be in this play. If you'll take all of my call for the next two months, then when the play closes, I'll take all of your call for the two months after that. 
So I got two months of no call so I could do the play. And then he got two months of no call to do whatever he wanted. (laughs) And we were both happy about the deal. (laughs) And yet there was nothing in my contract that said we could do that. It just said, I'm supposed to be on call. Um, But who cares? As long as all the call was covered, they don't care whose name is on the, the schedule. They just care that someone was available tonight. Nice. I'm curious of the um, of the kind of the parts to this book. Which one is your, uh, I guess, when I think about the messages you like, what's your favorite portion of the book um, that you wrote for this? Uh, my my favorite part is making <laughs> no not the retiring no my favorite part is making your practice fun again yeah um you need to find joy in your work if your work is making you miserable you're going to just be miserable forever yeah. and so finding joy in your work you know and there are so many things you could do to alter the things you don't like here's a great example I, there was a, a surgeon who, who was a, it was a lady and she uh, was mad about taking call because she couldn't tuck her kids in it, uh, on some nights and she wasn't getting home in time for dinner. And, and so she decided to quit medicine. Her husband was a doctor also. So she didn't need the money from being a doctor. She liked being a doctor, but the call was so bad. And I tried to convince her, but why don't you just change the way you do call because right. you she's in private practice you don't have to do it the way everyone else is what if on the days you're on call you don't have any other responsibilities that day you just take them off the schedule so all you have to do today is if they call you to be on call or what if the day after call you don't work that day so you can go home and play with your kids you know she had tremendous leeway on altering her schedule. What if she altered it so she only worked half time uh, and the rest of the half she was playing with her kids? She could have easily made an ideal great practice and continued to practice medicine and still had all the time with the kids, but she wasn't willing to try. She just had already convinced herself that medicine is a bad place for me. I can't be the mother I want to be. You know, and and she just quit. Um, and it was so sad. And and we have a doctor shortage. And I think if we can help the doctors who want to leave medicine to feel good about it and stay in medicine, then the doctor shortage will go away. Yeah. And so that's what makes that segment um my favorite. The the retirement part um is my least favorite. Because uh, as I found out when I retired, and everyone else will find out when they retired, retirement is not what you think it is. (laughs) It's a great carrot sitting out in front of you. But when you get there, you're going to find out the carrot doesn't taste as good as you thought it would. Okay, (laughs) because there's a lot of stuff about retirement that's just not what you anticipated. Okay, and so... It will, there will be some of the things you like, like, oh, I can travel whenever I want. Well, maybe, because you also start getting other obligations of things that you want to do. Like right now, I have two new grandkids, and we decided we would help watch them. 
And so we have the kids two days a week during the school year when their mom's at work. And that means I can't travel like I used to. But it has nothing to do with work stopping me. It's There will be other things that you commit to. I'm going to be part of this group here in my retirement. And now suddenly that's locked me in to be at home and I can't travel. So you will find when you actually get to retirement that it's not all as rosy as you think it is because life is still going to be happening and those things still come up. Uh, and the only difference between your retirement years and your working years is you got an extra 40 to 60 hours a week to do something else with. That's what's really different. Yeah. Um, and the other things you think are going to happen and all this stuff that the grass is always greener on the other side. Um, but you have no idea what the guy went through to get that grass, that green, <laughs> you know? Uh, so the retirement's not as cool as you think it's going to be. So I, I love if I can get you to have joy in what you do, then your whole life is going to be joyful. Yeah. And, and the people who just look towards retirement, um, you can't let the desire for the future ruin your present. Those people get too caught up in how it's going to be good someday. So I'll just put up with this crap now because someday it's going to be good for me. You don't need to go through that. You can't be living for someday. That's what Scrooge did. He saved everything for someday when he retired and he lived a miserable life in the meantime. We don't want to live our life that way. You shouldn't have to die to make a living. You should be loving making a living and turn your practice into something you love. Even if you're employed, you can do that. Um, there are things you can change. There are things you can control. And if I can get doctors to do that, that's the part that's that is happiest for me to to keep doctors working in something that they love to do because they once loved it and something changed and let's just change it back yeah you know that's got to be a trailer right there um i was just thinking that the way that you presented that of retirement is not always what you think it's going to be like in general i think there's we talked earlier about having awareness of what you love and what you don't love. And I think that applies equally to when you change that extra 40 to 60 hours of what you're going to have freed up. If you aren't working in the traditional medical sense, you still have to know what you love and what you like. What are you going to fill that time with? And a lot of people, and I know physicians too, have been miserable because they never prepared themselves for having anything outside of medicine. And so I, I love that you talked about just the the idea of, of finding the joy in what you do and mm -hmm. what are you going to do? How are you going to be creative enough and explore what you love and don't love so that you can make that joyful again? And um, so I'm, I'm really glad. I, you I see it. I get a lot of comments that speaks to this and it's, this is the comment. Mm -hmm. They say, Dr. Fawcett, you're not retired. You just changed jobs. Because now you're writing books and you're coaching and you do this. You didn't retire. You just changed jobs. So you don't count. You're, that's not what retirement is. But the thing is, is, you know, when you retire, as you said, you're going to have to do something. You're not going to just sit in your chair all day. You'll be out doing something. So here's the cool thing. 
My guess is, is if that person who says that loves to golf, I'm going to bet you that they spend more hours golfing when they first retire than I spend writing books and coaching and all that stuff, but they'll still think they're retired. Mm. But they spent just as much time golfing as I did doing something that I like to do. Mm-hmm. So the key about retiring is, is mostly that now you can do what you want to do because you want to do it. You don't have to go to work tomorrow. You can do what you want. If I want to write a book, I'll write a book. I'm supposed to be writing one right now, but I happen to be remodeling my house. And so <laughs> I told the publisher, I don't feel like it right now. I don't want to be writing a book and remodeling my house at the same time. So <laughs> let's do it after the remodel is done. And so, but see, I'm retired. I can do it whenever I feel like it. Yeah. Uh, But people think I'm not retired if I have something to do. And that's the wrong idea about retirement. You still have 168 hours during the week that you got to do something with. And it's so much nicer if you feel productive during your week and you feel like you, you meant something to somebody or something you know you can't just sit around all the time you should not ever be retiring from something you should retire to something and that was uh there's a great story in the start of this book when i told my partner i was going to retire at 50 that was always my plan at 50 i was going to retire and i turned 50 i had the money i said i'm going to retire and he says great what are you going to retire to what I hadn't even thought about that. (laughs) And so he says, well, all of the docs that I know that don't retire with some sort of a plan about what they'll do with themselves, what they're, you're type A people, you know, you got to go and be doing and, 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 and the guys who have no plan six months later, they're back being a doctor again because they didn't like their retirement because it was boring. Yes. So before you retire, make sure you know what you're going to do with yourself uh, when you do that. And so I paused and I retired four years later after I figured out that, that question, I, but I went to a kind of part-time working and I cut back a little bit, but I didn't fully retire until I really knew this is what I'm going to do with myself. Uh, when I get there, retire to something, not running from something. I love that. I think you can kind of put that in even all three of these, these kind of sections, whether it's clinical, non-clinical or retirement is instead of saying retiring too is it what are you transitioning to rather than what are you transitioning away from because if you're clinical and you think that it, it, for whatever you know we talked about how you're miserable in your job but if you don't identify what it is you're miserable about so you transition out of that job transition from that job to something else you're probably going to duplicate it because you haven't set up the environment in the same way if you think a non-clinical career is going to be the the salvation for you because you hate your clinical practice again but you haven't really investigated that you don't really know the implications of that and so you're only you're transitioning from a job that you dislike and now you're kind of ending into a non-clinical career that you know you haven't really identified well uh, you're putting yourself in a bad situation again because you're kind of sitting here now you're not aware of what you're getting into and the same thing with trans, with with retirement like that, that we're talking about is is this 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 mythos of all of a sudden you cross the gate to retirement, whatever that may be, and then somehow the heavens open up and and everything becomes right again because now you're transitioning away from whatever it was to this new thing. But you you know, I I being able to transition to something is like being aware of what that next step is and why it's the next step is so key 
and I like, so I like how you kind of identified those, uh, those, those clinical, non-clinical in, in retirement as a way that we can sort of identify what we're going to be transitioning to um, versus what we're trying to escape from. Cause those are, those are really different mindsets and certainly impact, you know, how we process information and in, in life satisfaction and things. So I know at one doctor who was in private practice and then he decided that he didn't like what was going on and that the best thing for him to do was to be a salaried doctor who works shifts. So he's a prime, he was an internist and he became then a hospitalist and worked some shifts at the hospital. Okay. After a few years, he thought he realized that's not better. Uh, and so then he left that job and joined another group in private practice again. Now he's back in private practice but this time he's happy because after having worked, he thought this was what was wrong and he changed and then he wasn't better. I think what really happened is after that change, he sat down and thought about why am I still not happy? And then he went back to private practice, but did it in a different way and fixed the things that weren't, uh, you know, if, if you, if you don't solve, it's a good thing about divorce, you know, that if, if same, it's the same, not a good thing about divorce, but I mean, in divorce, it's the same thing. If you don't figure out what went wrong with the first marriage and you carry a problem into the second one, mm -hmm. the chances of that one failing go high. And so then you end up seeing people who have had five spouses, you know, well, you know, what's the common denominator there? You got to figure out what it is you're bringing to this relationship that's not translating well, because every time you do this, it fails. Yeah. Uh, you can't just keep bringing it forward and saying, well, if we just, if, if I just changed to a different spouse, then it all would be better. But you didn't change you. You took the same you into the next situation and it still didn't work. So figuring that out is, is really key. What, what really is causing the trouble? Yeah. Yeah, definitely introspection and awareness is huge. Um, before we forget, um, where would people find this book? Uh, if you want to give all your your things on the, the video as far as where they can find you and your books. Um, well, right here is Financial Success MD. <laughs> um, that's my website name. Uh, I'm all over the place, Twitter, Facebook. You know, you can find me if you Google that, that name. But uh, the books are on Amazon. Uh, you just go look for my name, uh, Dr. Corey S. Fawcett on Amazon, and it'll show you all six of my current books. And when future ones pop up, uh, they'll be there too. And, and Amazon, um, you know, one thing about Amazon is I can't control how much they sell my book for. So if you look around, sometimes it's for free. If, you, if you're an Amazon Prime member or a, a Kindle Unlimited or something, you can get the books for free. And I, I never liked that. Yeah, I didn't give them permission, just give away my stuff, but they do it on their own. And so, you know, it's it's not that expensive to get this. Sometimes you get it for free. What oh. a deal. What a deal. Hey, Kevin, any uh, last minute questions or would you like to take us out? Oh, I can. We can always talk more, but I, I'll take it. We can talk out. about this all week. <laughs> yeah, we could. <laughs> well, yeah, because there's, a, you know, this is, we, we, we talk about awareness on the podcast all the time. And what I'm always kind of fascinated with is most of these discussions, there's always these core principles that come up, right? So all or nothing thinking where, you know, it's either this or that. You, you I, I can't do medicine because everything's horrible. So I have to do this or I have to give up. Everything is, is bad. Um, 
this idea of really being aware of where you are and why you are unhappy, because the thing that you carry through with all of these transitions is you. So are you going to be the same you in a different environment? Or are you going to be a new you in a new environment, which gives you some more opportunities? Um, and I always enjoy talking with you, Corey, because you are always so positive about all this stuff. And you always have a tendency to think about things in a little bit tweaky way, uh, which I really enjoy. And which is one of the reasons I really enjoy the book. So thank you for joining us on today's episode. It's always good to have you. Well, thanks for having me. I'd be happy to come back anytime you want to talk about something. <laughs> well, we'll probably have you back again because we like talking to you. <laughs> um, and for everybody out there, again, this book is The Doctor's Guide, Smart Career Alternatives and Retirement. And there's basically three books in this one. Um, so it's a really good one. And for 10 bucks or whatever the cost is, you can't get a better value for a dollar than that. And as always, if you are interested in the community, you can come to thechangephysician.com. And until next time, stay well. Thank you for joining us today on the Change Physician Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please let us know by going to thechangephysician.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out the free book giveaways, guides, and other physician resources available to you simply by joining the community at thechangephysician.com.